All right. Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew as well. Um, we are looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. Um, and this ties in to the other passage that we read earlier in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 21, verses 23 through 32. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Thus ends our reading of God's holy word. May all who hear it find that they have submitted to the authority of Christ. What does it mean to have authority? How do we define such a term? There are many whom we would consider to be authorities today. Some have been given that authority because of a title that they hold. Think of our president, think of our governor, think of the mayor. These are people who, because of their elected position, wield power and control. But there are also those who have become authorities because of a certain expertise that they have. They have such command on a particular subject that, that people look to their guidance when they need help in that area. I have a good friend who has his bachelor's in Christian ministries, a master's in biblical exegesis, another master's in historical and systematic theology, and finally he has a Ph.D. in biblical theology. Guess who I call when I have a question about the Bible? <laughs> because of his many, many years of high-level biblical education, he has become an authority on the subject. Today, we, we look at this question of authority, and in particular, Christ's authority. Where did it come from? How did he receive it? 
But before we jump in, we, we definitely need to look at the backdrop to our passage for today uh, because it explains a lot to what is going on in our passage. If you recall, it was Passover week and Jesus had already entered into the city of Jerusalem riding upon a donkey to the shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. He had now publicly declared himself as the Messiah, the King of the Jews. He then proceeded to the temple courts where he cleared out all those who were buying and all those who were selling. He turned over the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And once he had removed all those elements of a false religion, he then began to minister to the people by healing the lame and the blind. And it was in these things, in the cleansing of the temple and in the cleansing of those who were unclean, that Jesus had declared himself as the new high priest. And so what we find is that, that Jesus is both the messianic king and the high priest of the Jews. Both are positions of high authority. And this sets the stage for our text for today, where we'll see Jesus returning to that same temple, although this time in a new authoritative role, in the role of a prophet. Look at, look at Matthew 21, verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus has once again come back to the temple courts, but the ministry that he is now doing wasn't the work of a high priest, but that of a prophet. He was no longer cleansing the, the unclean, but he was teaching the word of the Lord. He was taking upon himself this third authoritative role, that role of a prophet. Not only is he this messianic king, not only is he the new high priest, but he is this one who speaks for God. And this is crucial to what we see next. Now, typically what we have seen throughout Matthew's gospel is that when these religious leaders tried to test Jesus, they did so by using theological argumentation. And yet on this occasion, we see them taking a different tactic. They went straight for the jugular by attacking Christ's authority instead. This question of authority was of great concern for these religious leaders during Jesus' day. And many of the rabbis would, would point to their pedigree as the source of their authority they would claim that their credentials came from the rabbinic succession of, of their forerunners. I was taught by Hillel, or I was taught by Shammai. And this is what we see here. They're, they are asking Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? It's a question that's being brought to bear upon Christ. Okay, Jesus. You have made quite a scene here. Tell us, who do you think you are? Why do you think you can do the things that you're doing? 
Who told you that you could put out the, the, the money changers and the sellers of dove? Who, who gave you the right to teach in these courts? Who put you in charge of this temple? Sure, you may have the love of the masses, but who is the rabbi that trained you? Who can you point to? Who gave you this authority? Jesus' response to their question is quite masterful. Look, look at our next verses. Look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? Now, Jesus wasn't trying to avoid their question. In fact, he was giving them an answer within this question of his own. For he was directing them to John the Baptist. You see, Jesus decided to play along with this little game of rabbi pointing that they had. He, he would acquiesce to, the, to this absurd notion and, and in doing so, turn the tables on them. And, and, and he did so by pointing to a rabbi who not only had credibility, but also one who had submitted to Christ's authority. Jesus was reminding these men of his forerunner, John the Baptist, this one who had prepared the way for the Lord. You see, it was, it was John who had pointed to Jesus and declared him as the Messiah. Look at, look at Matthew 3, verse 11 once more. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But not only did John declare those things, but then he baptized Jesus with a baptism that could only be described as having heavenly origins. Look at, look at verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What you have to understand is that these things were not done in secret. And these chief priests and these elders, they knew all of this. Thus, in order for them to claim that Jesus was not the Messiah, that he had no authority, then they would have to de declare that, that John's baptism was not from heaven, but from men. And as we'll soon see, this put these men in quite a pickle. Look, look a little further. Look at the rest of verse 25. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. These religious leaders were now trapped. In their attempt to derail Jesus' authority, 
They have instead ensnared themselves. For if they say that John's baptism was from heaven, then they would have to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. But if they say that it is from men, then they will lose what little favor they still had among the people. For the majority of them believe John to be a true prophet from God. And yet, there is a third option that they chose to take. Look at verse 27. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. We don't know. Really? You, the, the chief priests and the elders, those who make up the, San, the Sanhedrin, those who are supposed to be the religious leaders over Israel, who hold such a high authority, you don't know? It was obvious to the masses that John was a true prophet, that he was from God, and yet these chief priests and these elders, they don't know. How could these men claim to be the religious authorities in Israel when they couldn't see the obvious? How could they be leading the Jews in spiritual matters when they can't understand what is right in front of them? This trap that they had devised, they had now fallen into. You see, Jesus had put these men in a lose, lose, lose situation. No matter how they answered, their credibility was going to take a hit. For if they said from heaven, then they would have to admit that they were wrong about Jesus. They would have to acknowledge his authority. If they said from men, then they would lose the trust of the people, weakening their authority. And if they said they did not know, then they would also look like fools. For the answer concerning John the Baptist was obvious for all to see. No matter what they did, it was their authority that was now being questioned. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? I mean, when you think about it, these men, they knew exactly where Christ's authority had come from. They knew that it came from heaven. I mean, how else could he be doing all the things that he was doing? How else could he be healing the blind and, and the lame? And yet they chose to reject that authority because they valued their religious system and the authority that they possessed over and above God himself. I mean, think about it. In all that Christ was doing, in his cleansing of the temple, in his healing of the blind and the lame, in his teaching in the temple courts, Jesus was challenging these men to change their minds concerning who he is. He was putting a fork in the road. Would they recognize and submit to his authority? Or would they stubbornly hold on to what little authority they had left? But before you condemn these men, ask yourself this. Have you recognized the authority of Christ? Who is it that holds sway over your actions? Do you look to the words of Jesus to find truth? 
Or do you lift up your your own opinions above the message of God? Are you like these chief priests and these elders who had ignored all the evidence in order to maintain their own authority? Listen, we we live in a culture that has an ever-growing objection to authority. People don't want to conform to any, any higher power, whether it be familial, political, or religious. That's why we see teenagers acting out against their parents. It's why we see rioting in our cities. And it's why we see this rise of of anti-Christian sentiment across our nation. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Instead, they want to be their own authority. But to have true faith in Christ demands something different, does it not? For true faith recognizes Christ's authority and submits to it. True faith holds Jesus as king. These chief priests and these elders, they they didn't want to change. They were happy within the system that they had, within a system that they controlled. And even though they knew where Christ's authority had come from, they refused to listen and they refused to repent. And so Jesus addressed this issue in a short little parable. Look at verses 28 through 30. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Just as Jeff was talking about earlier, we see this contrast between these two sons. The the, the father goes to the first and asks him to go to work in his vineyard, and yet this son is rebellious as he dishonors his father by saying, I will not. And yet, when the son went away, he felt remorse over his disobedience. And so he changed his mind and did the work that his father asked of him. And then we see the second son, who was also asked the same question. He gave, he gave the answer that was expected of him. A, a pious response of, I will, sir. I mean, this is how a truly obedient son should answer him, all right? Saying yes to his father's command and even calling him sir. Where the first son didn't address his father properly, this second son, he showed his father respect He showed his father admiration. He said he was going to do his father's will. And yet, he didn't do his father's will, did he? He did not do the work. He desired the favor of his father, but he was unwilling to do the will of his father. And so he was duplicitous in his words. He said one thing, the one thing that would make him look good, but then... He went off and did something else. And so what we see is we have two disobedient sons. One is disobedient outwardly, and yet he repents and bears the fruit of that repentance by going and doing the work. The other puts on a display of righteousness, 
But inwardly, he doesn't submit to his father's authority. For his heart has no love for his father. And it is the second son who bears no fruit. Let's, let's see how Jesus ties this all together. Look at the end of our passage. Look at verses 31 and 32. Which of the two did, his fa- did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus pulls no punches here. He he made it clear that, that this parable was about them. It was directly aimed at these chief priests and these elders. They have now been unmasked as pretenders. For they knew of John's teaching. They knew that his baptism had come from heaven. And yet they refused to listen to his message. They refused to repent and to believe into the one, in the one that John had pointed to. And even after John's demise, they were witnesses to the truth of John's words as it was displayed through Jesus Christ. And yet, even with all that evidence, they lacked faith. They refused to submit to the authority of Christ. They were so ingrained in their own system, a system that had given them prestige, that they had rejected the clear evidence that the Messiah had already come and was now among them. And yet, it was the tax collectors. It was the prostitutes. Those who were considered the most sinful They were the ones who were entering the kingdom of God ahead of these chief priests and these elders. And the reason they found entrance was because they believed in John's message. They turned away from their sins. They saw the the, the truth concerning Jesus Christ. They left behind their wicked ways and followed him. You see, in many ways, they were just like that first son who said no to his father. I I will not honor you nor do your will. Outwardly, they had lived lives that, that went against the commands of God. And yet, they recognized the authority of Jesus. And when they did so, they repented. They left behind their line of work. And decided to follow Christ instead. Dear friends, there are two choices right in front of you. You can be like that second son. Demonstrating a a show of piety and yet refusing to submit to Christ's authority. Or you can be like the first son. Recognizing your own disobedience and yet surrendering to the will of Jesus. The choice is yours. But in order to enter in the kingdom of God, Jesus must first be your king. And that can only come 
through a repentant heart. A heart that says, I I recognize my sinful nature and now submit to the only one who is perfectly righteous. And when you think about it, Jesus truly is the only one who has submitted to the will of his Father on all occasions. Even when that will was for him to go to the cross, Jesus took upon himself the the wrath of God as he died for all the disobedient sons, all the disobedient daughters. For he was the obedient son. When his father asked him to go and work in his vineyard, Jesus replied, I will, sir. But unlike that second son, Jesus did go. He hung on that cross and suffered for your sake. And now you, as a a disobedient child, can come to the Father and receive forgiveness. For when you repent, when you submit to the authority of Christ, you too can be like those tax collectors, like those prostitutes. You can enter into the kingdom of God and rejoice. Rejoice in that one son who was truly obedient. Let us rejoice in this obedient son. Let us rejoice in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now with humble hearts. In many ways, we are like that first son. We have dishonored you by going our own way and refusing your commands. And yet, In many ways, we are also like that second son. We, at times, give a display of piety and and righteousness, and yet deep within, we desire to be our own authority. We want to do our will. Lord, we need your son. We need Jesus Christ, for he is the only one who is truly obedient. Help us to repent. Help us to turn from our sins and to submit to your will. We can only do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would change our hearts, change our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.